This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about playoff hockey, specifically second round playoff hockey, because we're going to be discussing today the Golden Knights series win over the Chicago Blackhawks. The last time we talked to you guys, we were previewing that series, and now it's over. The Golden Knights win that one in five games with a 4-3 win in game five last night. We're going to break it all down for you. First, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Sunday Ticket, Deal Dash, and FavorDrinkAFavor.com. Also, a reminder to read all of our coverage on the Golden Knights at ReviewJournal.com. We've got a ton of stuff up there that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. I talked to some of the Knights broadcasters the other day about how they dealt with calling a first-round playoff series despite not actually being in the arena and you know, I hope you guys check that out. Uh, also, a reminder to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, do to this podcast. It helps people find us, and uh, it is much appreciated, those of you that have been doing those things. All that being said and having all that out of the way, Dave, we are through round one of the playoffs, at least as far as the Golden Knights are concerned. There's still actually every team, as we record this, besides the Golden Knights, is still in the first round of the playoffs. But my big question for you off the bat, are you surprised that we saw an actual handshake line last night with guys re- literally gripping each other's palms as they were saying goodbye? No, I guess not. I mean, without making this too much into a, you know, a political statement or anything like that. I mean, they've had three straight weeks with no positive tests up there. I think everybody feels pretty confident that they're safe and it's a cool tradition. It's something that separates the NHL. You know, I I thought it was kind of funny that Pete DeBoer, when I asked about it in in training camp, mentioned 
the last dance in the NBA and, oh, somebody might have to pull the, the Isaiah Thomas and just walk off the court. Like the NBA doesn't have anything like that. Baseball doesn't have anything. The NFL doesn't have anything. It's a cool tradition that the NHL has. So I have to admit, I was, I was glad to see that I was back. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm progressive and modern in a lot of areas of my sports consumption, but the handshake line is something that I, I will stand for, I will ride for, even though it's a little bit old-fashioned, I feel like. Because you get cool moments like yesterday, uh, Robin Leonard kind of giving a, a half hug to all of his former Chicago Blackhawks teammates, and a lot of those guys kind of giving it back in return, and it was just a nice moment. Um, now, with the handshake stuff out of the way, let's talk about some hockey. Uh, as I mentioned, the Gold Knights got to do that handshake line because they finished off the Chicago Blackhawks in five games with a 4-3 victory last night. The Knights have officially won a postseason series for the second time in three years. They are the third franchise in NHL history to do that in their first three seasons. Uh, their second round opponent, as we're recording this, is still very much up in the air uh, because they are the number one seed in the Western Conference. They basically get to play the worst team remaining. So that could either be uh, Arizona, though they could potentially be eliminated a couple hours after we're recording this. Uh, it could be Calgary. They are also down in their series. They're down 3-2 to Dallas. So if both those teams end up getting booted from the playoffs, the Knights will play the winner of the Vancouver-St. Louis series. Uh, both of those teams, pretty frisky. And I think that's you know, one of the more enjoyable series to watch in the postseason so far, despite the fact that it's on late so much, just like the Knights were on late last night. Uh, but overall, Dave, big picture, looking at these five games, uh, what jumps out to you about how the Golden Knights ultimately got this done? I mean, the simple kind of Craig Berube answer is they scored more goals than the Blackhawks did. Um, you're right. And I, I sort of say that obviously sarcastically, but there's you know, an element of seriousness to that. And, you know, three of the the four wins for the Knights were one goal wins. And the fourth win was a game that was 2-1 in the third period. And then Riley Smith kind of put it away. Like these were close games that they just, in the moments that the series or the game was sort of teetering, the Knights were better. They, they got better goaltending early in the series. They were deeper. They were bigger. And I think they showed maybe a little bit of adaptability. Uh, they, they showed you can win a game grinding it out, you know, playing big and physical heavy hockey. And if you get into kind of a back and forth track meet and you want to trade chances with them, they can do that. And they lost game four, obviously, but 96 shot attempts, 49 shots on goal. Um, I think if, if, you know, a different night, maybe Corey Crawford's not stopping some of those. Maybe a different goalie isn't stopping some of those. You'd feel pretty good about the way you're playing. So, you know, the easy answer is they were just kind of the better team and and the cream sort of rose to the top, I guess, in the series. We'll see because we're going to talk about this. I think there were some things that if you're Pete DeBoer and the staff, you definitely you know, are excited to go back and correct, you know, that it wasn't perfect, that you've still got things to work on. You can still get better. Uh, coaches love that sort of stuff. So there's definitely some things that, that you can nitpick at, but ultimately, you know, what it really came down to is the Knights were a division winner, one of the favorites and the Chicago Blackhawks were a team that finished in last place in their division. And that just kind of, you know, showed at the end. 
yeah, the Blackhawks were the classic, you know, they're happy to be their team, which is fine. I mean, they're overall a young team, despite, you know, some of their star players. And we talked about this going into the series that, you know, this is a good learning experience for guys like Kirby Doc. Uh, Adam Boquist is a guy who's going to learn a lot from this series. Not all of it positive because he got burned on some of the night's more crucial goals. Uh, you know, even out guys like Alex Dabrinkit or Dominic Kubalik, I think are going to learn a lot from their first taste of postseason hockey, where the Knights obviously have bigger aspirations than just, you know, kind of using the playoffs as a learning experience. They're here to potentially lift the Stanley Cup. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, that kind of difference in level just showed up throughout this series. And now the Knights will have plenty of time to make some of those corrections that we're going to talk about, too, because the first round is not uh, tentatively scheduled to start, or the second round, I should say, is not tentatively scheduled to start until August 25th. So that gives them about six days from when they're recording this until they're going to play a competitive hockey game against another team again. Uh, But right now I want to start diving a little bit deeper into some of the kind of things that you touched on there and some just aspects of the series that we should dig into. And number one, that of course you mentioned, but uh, bears a longer conversation is the goaltending. Uh, Robin Leonard got the start in game one for the Knights, and he also started games two, four, and five. So for those keeping track at home in a kind of do or die playoff series, the Knights started Robin Leonard in four out of five games, which I think says a lot. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury started game three, and to be totally fair to him, he was spectacular. He gave up one goal, which is ironically on you know, not one of the tougher shots he faced that night, but overall he looked just so much better than he did in the round Robin against St. Louis. He was really, really good in game three. Um, And I bring this up because I think a lot of fans are still kind of weirded out by this. I mean, I'm still getting a lot of messages on Twitter, even just friends text me, Dave, I don't know about you, you know, about people weirded out or just concerned or not happy that Marc-Andre Fleury is not starting a lot of these games, but um, for you, was the way that Pete DeBoer handled this goaltending situation surprising at all? So, okay, I'm going to say no, but I'm go- I'm going to admit there were a couple things at the time that surprised me. Uh, one being, I was surprised that it, it, I was surprised that Flurry started Game Three, only because when you look at it on the surface, you just assume. Okay, Robin Leonard's hot. He hasn't lost. Why would you bench the guy who's rolling along as your starting goaltender? You have a back-to-back. Usually the quote-unquote number two guy plays the second game of the back-to-back. You know, you figure, okay, if it's 3-0, Flurry clinches it. He feels good about himself. He's involved. Like it seemed okay, you know, it seemed like that that right scenario. But then I thought about it more and I looked back on it and I'm like, okay, th- there were a couple statements I think Pete DeBoer made his choices on goaltenders throughout that series. Obviously, number one is that he chose Robin Leonard to play game one, that he went away from any kind of rotation and gave Robin Leonard back-to-back games. He played Colorado, and then he played game one. I think without saying he's the starter, he declared him the starter. That's as close as he can do without actually saying it. And then I think there's a couple other statements in there. And the way that he handled the back-to-back, I think, is actually one of them. Because I I think in retrospect... What he's saying with that is it was more important for Robin Leonard to play game four. That if they were down or if they were up 2 1, that he wanted Robin Leonard in that situation to go up 3 1 rather than make it 2 2. And or 
if Fleury wins that game, I want Robin Leonard to close it out. And then the other statement I think is that he started Robin Leonard in game five. Because like you said, Fleury played really well in game three. And Leonard gives up the goal if we're going to start nitpicking in the, in the first period of game four, where if we're going to have a whole conversation about RVH and, and all that sort of fun stuff, we can veer into that. But that's a bad goal. Matthew Heimer scored from below the goal line. You can't give that up. And Robin Leonard, you know, accepted responsibility for it after the game. But if you're a coach and you have these two good goalies, if you're going to nitpick, you know, would Fleury deserve to start game five? And, and Pete DeBoer said, no, I want this man, you know, I want Robin Leonard closing it out. I want this guy as my starting goalie. He's my number one. And, and so I, I, I think in looking back, it, it may be not surprised, but I just think there were some some strong statements in there when you read into it as to what the goaltending situation is. And yeah, I got the same texts and, and tweets from people, DMs and, and all that sort of stuff with what's going on. And he said he was going to play two goaltenders and all that. And well, yeah, he did. He did in the round robin and he stuck to his word. But right now, you know, he feels like Robin Leonard is the number one goaltender and you know his choice in 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 his selection before each game has has shown that yeah and to be clear Pete DeBoer is saying that you know he has two starting goalies and that he wants to play both goalies because he just ne- doesn't know what's going to happen you're not going to say yeah Robin Leonard is my guy and Mark Andre can now go collect mothballs because what if all of a sudden you know God forbid, Robin Leonard tears his hamstring or something, and then all of a sudden you need Flurry the rest of the postseason, and now Flurry's you know theoretically grumbling a little bit because he's like, well, I wasn't even the guy, and now all of a sudden he's like trying to butter me up and say that I'm a starter. Like I don't like that. Not that Flurry would necessarily act that way because he's you know basically always been professional in his career. But basically, if you're Pete DeBoer, there's no reason to go into a press conference and anoint one of these guys your starter. But in this case, actions speak louder than words. And his actions certainly seem to indicate that he trusts Robin Leonard right now more to help this team win playoff games and get close to lifting the Stanley Cup. And there's plenty of things in Leonard's recent track record, both with the Knights, where he is now 7-1 and one with the team, with the one loss being uh, when he you know just faced an incredible goaltender at the other end in Corey Crawford in game four and just the last two seasons because Leonard was of course a Vesna trophy finalist last year whereas Marc-Andre Fleury is coming off a down season for him frankly so you see the logic in why Pete DeBoer is choosing to go with Robin Leonard even though fans obviously have this longer history and this bigger attachment to Marc-Andre Fleury which is understandable because he was phenomenal that first postseason but you know, DeBoer doesn't have that history. He wasn't here for that run. And from what he's seen in his time with the team since January, he believes Leonard gives him the best chance to win. And he doesn't necessarily need to declare that publicly because he's declaring it with his actions. And, you know, like you said, I think it was a very strong statement that he stuck with Leonard in game five. And I think it was the right decision because, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's kind of, you know, the old you know, quarterback cliche that teams talk about. If you have two quarterbacks, you actually have none because you kind of hurt yourself, you know, going back and forth and not really just having 
a guy to kind of take over the team and be able to lead the team effectively if they're constantly competing for that job. So I think it was a good statement by DeBoer to say, hey, you know what? Leonard gave up one bad goal in game four, but for the most part, he was actually pretty strong in that game. I'm not going to give him the quick hook for that. I'm not going to go to the other guy just because I can. I'm going to stick with, you know, the guy who we decided from game one we're going to go with, and ultimately it paid off. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think, I mean, we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum, and Pete DeBoer's mentioned it, every coach, every player, like, this is so unpredictable. You have no idea what's going to happen. We've already seen a game go five overtimes and then a game have to get pushed to the next morning. So you'd have no clue back-to-backs in these series, all these sorts of things that never happen in the playoffs. You never know when you're going to need a second goalie, when in the schedule, uh, when circumstances are going to dictate that another guy has to play, that somebody needs a break, whether it's for you know wear and tear, whether it's for performance, whatever it might be. I mean, so far, Robin Leonard hasn't given up more than three goals in a game. So at least in terms of performance right now, you can't say that he deserves to to sit. But this this whole bubble and, and all of this that they're that they're experiencing right now is so unpredictable. So to sit there and, and publicly say, well, this guy's my starter and this guy's my backup or, you know, well, we're just going to ride this guy or something like that. Like we would crush him. In, in the media, if he painted himself into a corner like that. So, so like you said, Ben, 100% agree. There's no reason for, for Pete DeBoer to actually like come out and publicly say it. But as, as you phrase this, so well, his actions speak louder than words. He's made a statement with his choices. And, and we'll see how it goes going forward. But, you know, it, to me, it's pretty clear right now, Robin Leonard is the number one starting, whatever you want to phrase it, goaltender. Absolutely. And it's, obviously going to be uh, fascinating to watch how that continues to progress because so much can happen and of course because robin leonard is a uh, pending unrestricted free agent which could lead to a you know even deeper discussion in the offseason but that's obviously something we can table for a while here sunday sunday sundays are coming back in the nfl with NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday Ticket.tv and use promo code Blue Wire. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code EDGE or DealDash.FM backslash EDGE. 
That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash edge. Uh, next, I want to talk about uh, some players that popped off the screen to me, at least watching this series, which was the third line, which uh, for the most part, because of kind of injuries and guys coming in and out of the lineup, was uh, Nick Cousins, Nicholas Waugh, and Alex Tuck. They played together quite a bit during the round robin, and for the most part, just didn't seem to kind of click together, but they certainly did in this series. Alex Tuck actually scored the series-clinching goal last night, early in the third period, and he was jokingly called the X-Factor here by Max Pacioretty. Uh, but I don't think that's actually a joke. Like I said, his line with uh, Nick Cousins and Nicholas Waugh was really, really good against the Blackhawks. They look like they're kind of starting to gel together. And I think the proof positive of that was last night, Paul Stasny draws back into the lineup. And rather than going back to the third line, he started camp with uh, Pete DeBoer, that is, with Chandler Stevenson, Nicholas Waugh, and Alex Tuck. He elected to keep Nick Cousins on that third line and move Chandler Stevenson to the fourth, which I think shows how much faith he's kind of starting to have in that group. Uh, ultimately, against the Blackhawks, they had a 66-17 to 17 edge in shot attempts at 5-on-5 five five when they were on the ice. They had a 27-8 to eight edge in scoring chances. I mean, those are crazy kind of video game-like numbers, and it kind of shows what we've already touched on, which was the Knights' depth was just so much better than the Blackhawks' depth. So, I mean, Dave, do you think that group is for real or was that just them kind of taking advantage of some easier matchups or doesn't even matter? Well, I do. Th- I do think we have to acknowledge that the Blackhawks bottom six was their weakness. And, and I do think, you know, that was a matchup that they exploited, but good on them. You know, because in the past, we've we've seen matchups that we've thought, hey, the, the Golden Knights third line should be able to exploit this and they haven't done it. So. That's maybe the development here, and that's maybe what what jumped out with all this is that is that maybe they did finally hit on something. Maybe they found a trio that's finally clicked. I mean, there are some things that I believe in with them. Um, one of them is Nick Cousins. The more and more I watch him, the more and more a fan I am of his game. One because I love rats and I love pests and I love guys who are a pain in the butt to play against. And the funny thing is, I don't even think we've seen really that much of his game in, in that sense. Like we haven't seen him really in a in a bunch of scrums and all that stuff yet. I still think that's coming. But I think his playmaking and his ability to, you know, create and drive a little bit of offense on that line has helped Alex Tuck. And the size that Nick Waugh and, and Alex Tuck bring and the speed, it's hard for teams to to contain that. It's somewhat of an indictment, I think, on Cody Eakin, to be quite honest, because Alex Tuck played with Cody Eakin for so much, you know, so long together, and they just never seem to be able to click and drive offense. And all of a sudden, you know, you see him with a different center and you see him with, you know, some guys who, who give him the puck in different areas, get him the puck with speed through the neutral zone when he can build up a head of steam. And, and all of a sudden you go, ooh. That's the way it should have been the whole the whole time, and and so it gives you that belief. It, it gives you that optimism for the future that maybe they have something. My biggest question with them is: as good as all these numbers are and shot attempts and what it's it's can they finish? And we and obviously Alex Tuck got the game winning goal. 
in the game last night in game five, as we're recording this, uh, he's got four goals in, in the postseason, tied for the team lead. So I'm not knocking, you know, necessarily his fi- finishing ability, but that line as a whole for all the chances that they created and whatever, you'd like to see them finish a little bit more. That's the one question I have with, with them right now, but everything that they showed in that series gives you hope that maybe the, the Knights have a top nine instead of just a top six, which they've been striving for, for, you know, two and a half, three years here. Yeah. It's worth pointing out the Tuck's goal actually came basically as the Knights were changing and the primary assist actually went to Jonathan Marcia. So, uh, so, you know, the line technically really wasn't together on the ice for that goal. And they were actually on the ice for a goal against earlier that game because Nicholas Waugh had a uh, turnover. So I think it's totally fair to point out that they still need to work on finishing a little bit more. I still have a couple defensive question marks, too, just because, you know, we've seen a couple, you know, turnovers or just kind of rookie mistakes every now and then from Nicholas Waugh for the most part. I think he's been very solid and actually Pete DeBoer trusted him enough to play him at the end of that game yesterday as the Knights were trying to close the game and series out, which I thought was really noticeable, but there's still room to grow there. And, you know, I think as you were kind of talking about Cody Eakin, it just made me think of how much more synced up it just feels like this trio's games are with one another compared to, you know, Alex Tuck and Cody can just never seem like they are trying to accomplish the same things on the ice where now, you know, Nick Waugh and Nick Cousins know like, all right, if we can get Tuck the puck in the neutral zone, he's going to have a zone entry and we'll just be able to get on the forecheck. And I think that's works too, where now Alex Tuck knows t- that when they actually do get in the offensive zone, he can hang back a little bit. Uh, Wah and Cousins are going to just wreak havoc in the corners, trying to get him that puck and trying to you know set him up for a shot in tight. And we saw a number of those in game four as those guys were just teeing off on Corey Crawford almost the entire night, and they just couldn't find a way to get past him. You know, I know Pete DeBoer mentioned uh, yesterday in his post-game press conference that he thought Tuck could have had four or five goals in this series, and he ended up with just the one. We'll see if kind of, you know, his luck starts to turn when the Knights ultimately move on to the second round. Um, and then I want to move on to, you know, it's obviously, I think, really, for lack of a better word, fun for us to talk about the bottom six kind of guys because it's always surprising or exciting when they score because they're not necessarily expected to. But the guys that were expected to score for the Knights were also really good in this series. Riley Smith had six points. Jonathan Marceau, who I mentioned set up Tuck beautifully on his goal, had five. Uh, Mark Stone had two goals, You know, one of which was very important yesterday to get the Knights back in the game. And all these guys are productive despite the fact that you know, a lot of their line mates are either not in the lineup or banged up. Paul Stasny was hurt for part of the, this series and he missed two games. Max Pacioretty missed one game and the other, th- you know, first three games he played in this series, games one, three, and four, uh, he basically admitted that they were not the best games of his career. He just didn't look like himself yet. He looked like a guy that, frankly, hadn't played a competitive hockey game in five months, which, of course, was true of him because he, you know, was injured in training camp, got to the bubble late, had to self quarantine and couldn't appear in the exhibition or any of the round Robin games. And then Pacioretty comes back and scores a goal and has an assist in game five to 
finally get on the board. Um, so, you know, some mixed results from kind of this top six stage, some starring performances, some guys that are still clearly kind of finding their groove here in the postseason. So I guess what does it say about the Knights that they were able to move on rather easily despite kind of the varying performances from the top six? And do you expect even more from these guys moving forward? Yeah, I do. Let me, I'm going to answer the question though a little bit differently. And and what I want to point out is as much as, you know, these guys were out and, and they didn't have Stasny for the entire series and they didn't have Pacioretty, obviously, you know, at a hundred percent, the Knights, I guess, quote unquote stars really outperformed the Blackhawks stars in this series for the most part. Patrick Kane had the three assist game and, and, and they their stars showed up last you know last night in game 5 you know Taves scored Kane scored they did their best but you know Taves had one goal in the series Kane had one goal in the series Kubalik I think had one Debrinket had two had been quiet the whole time one of them was an empty net goal the knights did a really good job on the blackhawk stars and then like you said Riley Smith Jonathan Marchesso Mark Stone you know the, the knights guys that were in the lineup that that they needed to lean on contributed and yeah, I do. Going forward, you you would expect Max Pacioretty to play better. And if they're going to settle on a top six of, you know, Pacioretty, Carlson, Stone, and then Marcheseau, Stasny, Smith, you know, you, those guys need a little bit, you know, some game time, develop a little bit of that chemistry, get that back because guys have been in and out of the lineup. And, they, and, and I do think it bodes well, you know, that, that they were able to find depth, plug guys in. You got Chandler Stevenson going from the first line to the fourth line, you know, one game to the next. I mean, I don't know how many teams have guys that can do that, that have that sort of versatility. I think, you know, as we talked about early in the show, all that depth and and that sort of stuff was really what separated the Knights from the Blackhawks in this series. And yeah, the, the Knights going forward, they're going to need Max Pacioretty to look like he did last night and produce like he did last night. You know what you're going to get out of Mark Stone and and William Carlson was a contributor. You feel like if if they get the same type of contribution from Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchso, and a healthy Paul Stasny, they're going to match up with anybody. They're going to be a tough team, you know, for anybody to figure out who am I going to put my shutdown pair against, who am I going to put my shutdown line against. I mean, other coaches have to look at the tape and look at them and go, that's you know. This is tough for us. It's it's a little bit of pick your poison. No, totally. And you know, another guy that I should throw in the mix there has been Shea Theodore. Even though we were talking about forwards, just because you know he's got he had two goals against the Blackhawks. He had three points. It was a really strong series for him, and he continues to emerge as a force for this team. So you know, some really good top level performances by the Knights. But yeah, I think there's even more to offer for that top group, and we'll see if they're able to do it against uh, whoever they end up facing. Uh, Last thing that, you know, I want to talk about reflecting back on this series is, um, you know, I guess what stood out to you in kind of more of a negative way. I think the big one that comes to mind for me early is, you know, the power play ultimately finishes uh, one for 10. They get a really nice goal uh, last night to kind of help them close out the series. Riley Smith has just this incredible seam pass across the zone to set up Alec Martinez for a one-timer. But other than that, you know, the power play wasn't generating a lot of offense. Nate Schmidt thought it got a lot better in game four where they were peppering Corey Crawford and just couldn't seem to find a finish. 
but was there anything you saw that you know suggested that all right this isn't quite you know clicking the way it's supposed to be or was it even just a case of you know guys like Pacioretty weren't 100% yet in terms of the power play or just overall power play so okay here's my hang up <laughs> I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the numbers on this. This is going to be a research project for me. All right. I disagree with the Knights' decision to have Pacioretty on the left side of their power play. He came back last night. They had Mark Stone on the right and him on the left. I think Max Pacioretty is better on the right circle in that right office and camped out there. And I would argue without having the numbers to back it up, that their power play was better during the regular season when he was in that spot rather than on the left-hand side with Mark Stone and or Jonathan March or so there. That's just kind of a, if I'm going to be a, a armchair coach and critique and whatever, that's one thing that I would change. Um, now, as far as, you know, the numbers and whatever, I guess, you know, partly too, there's some credit that that the Blackhawks need to get because we talked about, you know, at the start of the series, when we previewed it, there was a little bit of inversion here in terms of, you know, strength on strength, special teams wise. You know, um, Golden Knights had a pretty good power play in the regular season, but the Blackhawks had a pretty good penalty kill. So maybe some of that was them. Maybe you have to give a little credit. And then obviously, at least like you mentioned, one of the games was their best penalty killer was their goaltender. So maybe going forward, there's some tweaks. Maybe there's some things, you know, personnel-wise, they're they're going to change going forward. Now, if everybody's healthy, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Brian Craig does with them on the power play going forward. But that's just one thing for me. If I'm going to throw my analysis in there, I would want to see uh, Max Pacioretty back in that right circle on that power play. And then the other thing, put Mark Stone back on the goal line the way that they had Cody Glass early. Let him open up and be a playmaker. I don't know. Just that's my two cents. No, it makes sense. I mean, Stone's passing and vision are obviously just top level. So I think for the Knights, you got to try to take advantage of that as much as possible. The other thing that I think really stood out, you know, both this series and obviously last night was just some puck management decisions, some bad turnovers by the Knights. That's what really led to a lot of the goals for the Blackhawks yesterday. I mean, the third goal, especially Nate Schmidt turns it over in the defensive zone. And then all of a sudden Patrick Kane is wide open one-on-one in front of Robin Leonard, which is just obviously a losing situation for the Knights. And those are the things that, you know, as we kind of go through all the things they did well, that take away from that because all of a sudden they were up, you know, I believe that they were, they were might've been tied uh, 2-2 at that point, and then, then the Blackhawks retook the lead 3-2. But the Knights had done so many things well to kind of erase a 2-0 deficit and get themselves back into that game. And then you have a sloppy turnover, and all of a sudden the Blackhawks are in the lead again. And it's kind of what we talked, we've talked about before with this team of, you know, with the depth and with the kind of lineup strength they have top to bottom, if they don't beat themselves, they're really hard to beat. And we still, I think, saw some instances in this game of the Knights, you know, having some self-inflicted wounds that ultimately held them back. And that's something they need to really strive to prevent because kind of, you know, the Blackhawks players are obviously, you know, very skilled, but the skill level is only going to increase moving forward in the postseason. Yeah, it's funny. Like I have my list of things, you know, like what would 
bullet points, things, takeaways from, you know, the series and all that sort of stuff. And the one negative was especially the turnovers. That was the one I had the big star next to and sad face and, and all of that sort of stuff, because that was, that was the glaring, you know, the, the glaring negative. That was, that was what, like you said, it kept the Blackhawks in, in the series in, in a lot of regard. It kept them in some of those games. I, I feel like it kept them in game two. It, it allowed them to be opportunistic. It allowed them to play kind of a conservative style, which I thought was interesting that the Blackhawks sort of chose to play that way. I would have thought going into the series that they would try to open it up, try to ch- trade chances, make it a game like they did in November when they won, I think it was 5-3. And, and you know, Patrick Kane was stretching the defense and they kept that off wing you know, high in the defensive zone and and really kind of tried to stretch that neutral zone. Uh, we didn't see a whole lot of that. And, and I think some of it was those games were tight and they were close and the Blackhawks felt like, hey, all we got to do is jump on a mistake the same way we did against Edmonton because they keep feeding them to us. And I thought once the Knights sort of cut that out and, and were able to focus on the Blackhawks' skill – you know, th- those were the moments that they really seemed to take control of the series. So going forward, I mean, like you said, the teams are only going to get better. The games are only going to get more intense. Maybe you chalk up some of these turnovers to, you know, rust or just not being as sharp early on in the playoffs. I don't know. You know, maybe we're far enough into it now that that can't be an excuse anymore. And their timing and all of that should be there. But definitely going forward, that's the one thing if you're a coach you know, and you're going to throw up on the video and, and say, hey, we got to get this, you know what, out of our game. I'm showing those clips and I'm saying this unacceptable. Right. I mean, Mark Stone mentioned it last night, like when they forced the Blackhawks to actually have to go 200 feet to try to score on them, the Blackhawks largely couldn't. And that just speaks to kind of the strength of the Knights kind of structure when they're able to, you know, set up and all that stuff. So you know, if they can cut down on the turnovers, they are awfully, awfully difficult to break down. Uh, we'll see whether their next opponent is going to be able to break them down. We'll see who their next opponent will be uh, later on this week. Uh, as a reminder, the Knights' options in the second round are Arizona, who once again might be eliminated, actually, by the time you're listening to this, by Colorado. But they would be kind of the first choice if they do end up coming back from a 3-1 hole against the Avalanche. Uh, Calgary, which is down 3-2 to Dallas, uh, would be next up if they manage to win the final two games of their series. And then the kind of last option, if uh, both Arizona and Calgary are ultimately eliminated, would be the winner of the Vancouver-St. Louis series. Both of those opponents, I think, would be pretty interesting matchups for the Golden Knights. Uh, we'll have... Uh, probably more audio goodness for you guys when that matchup is announced so we can preview it uh, again for you Uh, thank you so much everyone for listening as a reminder this podcast is presented by sunday ticket deal dash and favor drink a favor.com please check out all our great coverage at reviewjournal.com we'll have tons of stuff recapping this series and previewing the next one up there and of course uh, rate review subscribe whatever you do podcast due to this podcast uh for dave shane i'm ben goats we are the golden edge podcast and we'll talk to you guys again real soon
They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.